Hi everyone, and thank you so much for joining me on today's very important Black Lives Matter episode of my podcast. Together with three of my friends from Exchange, Lauren and Kayla from the States, and Emma from Canada, the four of us spent about two hours talking about all things to do with the Black Lives Matter movement. We recognise that as four women with varying different ethnic and cultural backgrounds, we will never truly understand the experiences of those in the black community. However, we believe that we can do our part to become better allies and amplify those black voices that should be heard. Together, the first part of the episode, we talked about protesting, the model minority myth, systematic racism, a bit about performative action, conversations that we've been having with our friends and family, and so much more. This is up until about the one hour and 10 minute mark. The second part, we talked about resources that we've been learning from and some brands and how they've been responding to this movement. The latter part of the episode has some technical difficulties and you'll be able to hear them with some interludes, but I hope that this doesn't take away from the overall incredible conversations that you can hear that we were able to have. Together, I hope we can be on this journey of constantly learning, owning up to our mistakes, improving and educating ourselves so we can continue to stand in solidarity with the black community. So without further ado, let's jump right on in. Hey friends, and welcome to this very special episode. So I've got with me three extremely, extremely special guests with me. I'm very sad to not be with them in person like we should have had the virus not hit. But alas, we are here and we are talking about some very important things today. So we've got, let's see, I'm going to go clockwise. Lauren, say hi. Hello. Hi, Jenny. (laughs) Me. Yeah, hello. Hi. And Emma, say hi. Hi. <laughs> Yahoo. So for the first time in my podcast, very short history, <laughs> we've got more than two guests. So we have a total of four people uh, speaking. So it's going to be a little bit interesting to try and uh, gather the audio and to accurately hear what we are saying in time because of the lag, but I'm sure everyone listening will understand. And so we'll get straight into it. The purpose of today's episode, as I mentioned in my previous episode, is to bring light to everything that's going on in the world right now and really delve deep and talk uh, more in depth about the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. And obviously the four of us are in kind of different Uh, areas of the world and are dealing with different circumstances and have different experiences with talking about race and things like that so I thought it'd be really interesting for me to bring these three on and to talk about this issue so just so everyone listening has an idea of where we are coming from what we'll do is each of us will introduce ourselves and kind of go into a little bit more depth about our positionality and hopefully after you listen to my example, you guys will get the gist of what I am referring to. So to start us off, hello everyone, uh, hopefully you know who I am, otherwise it's a bit odd that you're listening to my very small podcast, but you know, hello if you do not know who I am, <laughs> I'm Danny, and I live in, well it's a bit confusing, but I technically live in Sydney, but at the moment I'm back at home in Brisbane in Australia. 
Um, and I am an ABK, which is an Australian-born Korean. So my grandparents immigrated here in the 80s. And I guess I'm a first-generation immigrant to Australia, but also my mum grew up here as well. So I have a really interesting experience with that. Um, I guess I am of ethnic background and I am a person of colour, but also I've been lucky enough to be born and grow up in Australia. So something I don't have an accent, for example. So I've had a pretty privileged experience so far in my nearly 20 years of living. So we'll then move on to Lauren. Hello, Lauren. Please introduce yourself. Where are you? How are you? Who are you? (laughs) Good questions. Wow. Okay. My name is Lauren. I'm from the United States in Wisconsin. I do have an accent, but that's just because it's regional. (laughs) Uh, I go to to school in Minnesota, um, and I'm white. My family is white. We've been here pretty much forever. I grew up in a really white town. I go to a really white school, and I guess we can get into that later, but I guess that's honestly all I have to say. (laughs) It's totally fine. It's totally fine. We're just... Introducing ourselves here, hey? Thank you, Lauren. Kayla, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, everyone. So um, my name is Kayla. I'm from pretty close to Lauren, actually. I'm from Chicago in the U.S. Um, I am mixed race, so I have a white father and a Dominican mother. Um, And, yeah, I have a lot of interesting um, kind of dynamics within my family. I have African-American family. I have Hispanic family, I have white family, and I have Asian family. Um, So I kind of grew up with a very interesting lens on um, race and how people brought up of different races experience the world differently. Um, I grew up in a very white neighborhood and went to a very white school. So there were a lot of things that I experienced growing up that I now realize were kind of microaggressive toward my race and my identity. And I kind of internalized that as a child and didn't really think anything of it then, but now think um, of it now as I'm an adult. So yeah, we could talk about all that later too. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Kayla. And last but not least, Emma, please introduce yourself. Of course. Hello, everyone. I'm Emma. I am born and raised in Canada in a small town called Stratford. It's like two hours away from Toronto. Um, yeah, I've lived here my entire life. I am biracial. So my dad is white and my mom is from Trinidad. And similar to Kayla, I have a lot of different um, types of family, like I have Asian, Indian, um, African, uh, I think there's Spanish in there, just loads, just loads like Kayla. Um, I think one of the privileged parts of me growing up, I'm white passing, so I have dark features and such, but um, look predominantly white, so I take after my dad in that sense. Uh, And... Yeah, as we'll get into later, I grew up in a very white community, went to a white school. Um, yeah. Thank you. So <laughs> this is very special for me because I guess this very strange period of isolation has allowed me to explore into remotely producing episodes. And never would I have ever thought when I first started this that I would have three of my really good friends from Exchange who have such different positionalities and, you know, bring such value to our conversations, join me. So I hope everyone listening is really excited about uh, this episode and hopefully as we get into these conversations, you guys will be able to learn something new and, yeah, engage in what we are talking about as well. So I guess to kick us off, um, 
I'm not really sure who would want to kind of explain, but if anyone wants to take the reins and kind of delve a little bit more deeply into, first of all, what has been going on in the States, um, I think that would be great, especially for people that might not be too familiar. I mean, it's been everywhere in the media, but in saying that, people tend to avoid things like that as well because it can be quite confronting. So would anyone like to kind of talk about why this whole kind of global movement has picked up a lot more in the last uh, few weeks or so? Anyone? Yes, Kayla, cool. Take it away. Yeah. So um, I'm sure there's a general understanding of, you know, the whole incident that happened in um, Minneapolis with George Floyd. But the kind of uprising that people see on the news and the um, the protests and the riots that have kind of broken out across the United States um, is not just about that. It's about, uh, honestly, years and years of us being exposed on video to incidents of police brutality that have um, racial bias as one of the reasons why they're happening. So um, I think a lot of what you're seeing on the news, especially if you're not from the United States and you're not in a big city where these protests are happening, is you're seeing a lot of destruction and a lot of, um, you know, the news media is putting all these fires and explosions and and uh, the defamation of property and the destruction of small businesses, which it is happening. Um, but the media and something that's great about being kind of a member of this younger generation is that we're exposed to social media and maybe the older generation is just consuming this news media and they're seeing all this destruction but us um especially as you know privileged young people who have access to social media and internet we're seeing all sides of this so we're seeing the peaceful protesters we're seeing crowds dancing in the streets um we're even seeing police officers um joining some of the protesters or police officers or members of the National Guard um, showing public support and things like that. So we're kind of seeing all sides to this. Um, if you're on social media, if you follow certain people, you're going to be seeing certain things. So um, if you're, you know, seeing all these videos, that's something good because the news media is not giving this full coverage and it's not giving it fair coverage. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and in general, um, right now, I would say that the media is um, kind of focusing less attention on the protests, um, but they're still happening every single day and they're not being covered as much as they were last week. Um, so they're still happening. People are still fighting. People are still passionate. Um, and the overwhelming majority of protesters are firm in that they want to be peaceful and they want to just demonstrate their anger and their frustration. Um, so that's why it's a little bit disheartening to hear people say, well, all the looters and the, you know, rioters are making everyone look bad and they're, everything just looks bad. And I'm like, okay, well, how come those cops aren't making all cops look bad then? Because they're the same ones that are saying, oh, you know, not all cops are bad. Well, not all protesters are bad either. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's pretty much, I'll end it there. I think that's a pretty general explanation yeah. of what's been going on for the past few, few weeks. Awesome. Thanks, Kayla. Um, I hope everyone listening, uh, yeah, was able to kind of learn as Kayla was talking. Um, speaking about protests, though, um, I wanted to ask if any of you guys have been to a protest in the last uh, two weeks or so? Yeah? Okay. Emma, can you please talk mm -hmm. about your experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, so like I said earlier, very small town, um, only 30,000 people in my city, in my city. 
Um, and like I said earlier, predominantly white. It's a retirement city, mm. kind of uneventful in that sense. Um, and as Kayla mentioned, I think the fact that we're in this younger generation, that's who really took to the streets. And it was very small. It was right in front of City Hall. Um, I would say there's only about like 50 uh, signs, oh, though. Wow. And they had yeah. people. Um, Sorry, Emma. Lauren, nope, all good. you want to add something? Um, yeah. yeah, I actually just got an email and it said that uh, Louisville Metro Council Council just passed Brianna's law to ban no-knock warrants. And it was oh, my yeah, God. 2600 voted for that so yeah just wanted to yeah. that's actually really 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 positive we'll come back to that but thanks for yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's like yeah. real time yeah yeah, yeah. that's Absolutely. so amazing yeah. wow like the protesting and the kind of pressure to change and reform laws you know we're seeing those effects come through so that's amazing all right Emma, sorry, please continue. <laughs> All good. Yeah, so um, there's probably like 50 people outside of City Hall. And where I grew up, it's there's one kind of thing that we're known for, and that is uh, our theater. It's a big deal in Canada and such. And there hadn't really been a lot of conversation coming from them. And since that is what makes our city, we were really shocked that there hadn't been a statement or anything coming from wow. these people. Um, and kind of like you said, Danny, like the pressure it puts on these people and these brands and businesses and stuff, we finally got a response from them, which then turned into a, now they've given the platform that they have, which has millions of people following it over to the black actors and the creators and lighting designers, everything like that. And they're going to take a platform and use it to educate and spread awareness and stuff. So I think it's a big, um, even if it feels like a small protest, you can spark change. Cause I know a lot of my friends have been asking, like, what are we supposed to do? Because a lot of my friends come from small towns or cities because mm-hmm. you can't go to a big city and protest, whether it's because of coronavirus or whatever. So I think it's important to note that even if it seems like a small one, you can still spark change, whether it's, you know, from a platform that has millions or if you're changing your next door neighbor's mind or whatever. Yeah, Beautiful. such a good point. Yeah. Kayla, um, what was your experience like protesting? Yeah, I actually have a, a quite the interesting story. So I live in Chicago, obviously, which is actually one of the biggest U.S. Yeah. cities for the protests. And um, so I went on Sunday last week. No, no, no. Yeah, I believe it was last week, Sunday, which was the day after the first major day of protests. So after that Saturday, I wasn't able to go, but there was a massive protest. Um, eventually, toward um, the end of it, uh, once it got into the nighttime, it did get a little bit rowdy and some, you know, people ended up getting violent and setting things on fire and such. But the majority of that day was extremely peaceful. Um, and the Chicago protests have been largely peaceful as time has gone on, um, especially when you compare it to other major cities. But when I went, um, it's hard to explain, but I'm going to try and do my best. So basically, think of the downtown area of Chicago as like in the middle of something. And it's surrounded by river the Chicago river. And when I went downtown, everything was blocked off and our mayor had lifted all of the bridges that connect us to the downtown area um, across the river. So, um, and that had basically prevented any kind of major organization downtown. And so everybody was kind of fractured and didn't know where to go. So everybody kind of started splintering off and bringing their protests to their own neighborhoods, which unfortunately 
resulted in a lot of um, people just going back to their neighborhoods. And then looting was starting, destruction was starting, and these people were destroying their own neighborhoods instead of being able to gather in one place. Um, and that's not to say that there wouldn't be any kind of violence or um, looting downtown because there probably would have been. But um, these communities are already underfunded and are already struggling. So that was really difficult to see. But so basically we, um, and my friend and I, we had signs um, and we went down there and we instead decided to walk around um, a predominantly white, wealthy neighborhood that we were nearby. And we got more attention there than we did downtown because downtown was basically empty because of the mayor's efforts to um, kind of prevent protests, which was really upsetting. Um, but yeah, we did walk around a lot. Um, we got a lot of attention um, from people as we walked by in their cars and walking um, you know, opposite us. And it was just really upsetting to see that there was such a, a stark effort to prevent another protest. But nonetheless, they have been continuing in Chicago. They've become more organized and more peaceful as time has gone on. But yeah, the night before I went out there, um, the uh, mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, issued um, a curfew. And that curfew was from 9 p.m. until 6 a.m. And she issued the curfew after 9 p.m. So there were hundreds of hundreds of teenagers that is just downtown. So dumb. Really yeah. disappointing. So there were tons of people stuck downtown. And they had um, this is when she first lifted the bridges. So most of the bridges were lifted and people didn't know how to get out. So essentially it was setting people up to be arrested Boy. for breaking curfew. Oh my god. Um, so thank goodness I wasn't there because it probably would have mm-hmm. worked out. But mm. yeah, so it was a bit crazy when I went because I went like right when it first kind of ignited. But as time has gone on, the protests have become more organized, more peaceful and mm-hmm. more effective, I would say, at relaying the yeah. message. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Emma, go for it. Um, Thanks, Kayla. Just a, by the way. just a question for you, Kayla, about you said you got attention from the neighborhood that you were in. Was it mm-hmm. positive or was it more negative or was it kind of equal? Oh, it was it was overwhelmingly positive. Um, this is kind of, I don't know how to, else to describe it other than a pretty rich hipster neighborhood with a bunch of liberals mm-hmm. in it. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, But I actually did passed by um an awful man um when i was walking around he was an older gentleman probably in his 60s or 70s and he said uh as i passed by holding my sign um and i wasn't being obnoxious like like Mm -hmm. you know throwing it in his face or anything like i I literally was just holding it um and he passed by and he muttered to me um nobody wants to see that s word and i was like uh i'm about to fight but i didn't um <laughs> I, got, I got my boxing hands ready to go <laughs> literally i was like someone's was about to get their geriatric butt kicked but anyway oh my god uh <laughs> interesting okay very interesting thanks for sharing that emma and kale um i'll kind of talk about my experience protesting uh last week um australia has been a really interesting situation um since things have really like escalated um, because we have such a serious problem within our own country as well. And so it's been balancing uh, standing in solidarity solidarity with the black community in America and everything that's going on there for you guys, um, but also acknowledging the same problem that's happening in Australia with um, deaths in custody of our Indigenous population. And we've had lots of issues throughout the years with reconciliation with our 
Aboriginal community. And, you know, it's just so difficult to talk about um, everything that's gone on and everything that's problematic about the systems that we have in our own country. And so the protest that um, I went to was actually the first time I've ever you know, attended a protest, like with the climate change uh, protest, I had like a class that day that was the first class of the term that was compulsory. And I've honestly been a bit scared to go to protests in the past. I think I feel like I have a pretty political mind and I talk about these issues with my friends. But this recent um, Black Lives Matter movement has kind of, I don't know, turned some sort of light switch in my head where I'm like, it's not enough for me to just think about it and talk about it with my immediate friends that I know also think the same way as me. Like it's not just right. a, a temporary period of time where it's a trend. It's this mm-hmm. ongoing thing that needs to happen. And so I was like, there's no questioning it. I need to protest. And it was crazy. I've never seen that many people in Brisbane. Like Brisbane is a big city, but you know, compared to big cities in the world and, yeah, it's not, you know, to the same standard, but we had about 30,000 people, wow, peacefully protesting Amazing. for about five hours. And Australia, obviously, there's still a lot of uh, restrictions in place given, even given that our condition has improved drastically and there's pretty much been no community transmission in all of our states for the last Uh, not all of the states, but probably two-thirds of our states uh, for the last, like, two weeks or so, which is past that incubation period. So it's really positive. But unfortunately, there's been a case that's been confirmed from the Melbourne protests. Um, But don't you love it when the media just focuses on that and says Mm, the protests were irresponsible, uh, people, blah, 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 blah. And I was actually really upset the other day, and this will be a nice segue into the next part of the question I want to ask you guys, but... My grandma at the dinner table, you know, initially my family was quite supportive supportive of me going to the protest and no one was really saying, oh, why are you going? It's still dangerous, blah, 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 blah. Um, mm. But my grandma was so adamantly saying that she was talking with someone and um, they were discussing how, like, no one was wearing a mask at the protest. And I was like, oh, my God, grandma, I was there. Every single person was wearing a mask at the Brisbane protest. If you didn't have a mask, there was a volunteer asking you to wear one and giving you a free one. And so that really angered me in that moment because she was only looking at those images in the media that have been carefully selected in that one moment where people aren't wearing masks for whatever reason it is because it's it's uncomfortable. You might have to take it off for whatever reason and only focusing on that. Like, and she was, my grandma also, like, is quite gullible to the media, you know, and she's in her 80s, like, it's a bit of a different generational gap. But I was really upset in that moment because I was there and I was marching with my mask on, with people Mm -hmm. all around me practising safe hygiene in the best way we could. Obviously, social distancing is very difficult when you're protesting, Mm -hmm. especially in the case of Brisbane. Brisbane itself is not a very big city. And so, but... It was the most positive experience. Every single person was respectful of the people that were talking because the protests don't belong to the people that are attending but belong to the people Mm -hmm. that are voicing the problems and voicing the issues that need to be brought to light. 
So it was a really great experience and this incredible sense of camaraderie and strength and spirit. And, um, yeah, it was a really great experience. But I just find it very, very, very frustrating on how the media has been manipulating this sense of that protesters are irresponsible, Mm. uh, like, and, you know, in Australia our Liberal Party is like the right, so it's a little bit different in terms of terminology um, and the way that a lot of – white liberal male politicians have been talking about how irresponsible and I understand why you might be coming from that angle but I don't understand the way that you are framing it because you're framing it as though oh this is so untimely irresponsible but the thing is it's happening because people feel that there's urgency in this issue Mm -hmm. and there is you know it's a privilege not to be able to say anything right you know, mm-hmm. silence is privilege, silence is oppression. And that idea is captured in the way that a lot of politicians are saying this shouldn't have happened. And mm-hmm. for the most part in Australia, we've been really lucky that the protests have been completely peaceful, except for one incident. At the end of the Sydney protests, uh, there were some protesters um, around Central Station and out of nowhere the police started pepper spraying some protesters. No, And there's one particular thing that really jumped out at me was there was a woman on crutches and she kind of used her kind of situation of being a little bit immobile and kind of stood in front of some other protesters and she still got sprayed. So it was just a clear kind of sign of just really senseless police brutality. I know Mm -hmm. brutality has lots of layers to it and, given the awful circumstances in my country and your guys's as well, it's not the same standard and it's not to the same level. Mm-hmm. But these police officers were not wearing masks. These police officers were, you know, doing this right at the end of the protest, possibly to start some sort of media mm-hmm. buzz, you know. Um, so given all <laughs> that I <laughs> just said, uh, Lauren, I really wanted to ask, given that Wisconsin is a predominantly like white um, state and, you know, like you have mentioned as well, your community and stuff like that, um, how has the media been like in your state and overall your community and what's that been like for you to observe? Right. So first, all, I just want to say that I did not go to a protest um, and I really don't have a good reason for it, if I'm being honest. We had a few in my town, Janesville, it's a little bit south of Madison, and there's a lot of kind of commotion where people were texting each other and on the media just saying, like, don't go downtown tonight. And this is one of the first nights of the protest. They had already locked everything up. Um, the previous day, there is some violent protesting in Madison, which is our capital, and just everywhere in the news is terrible. There was reporters getting, you know, tear gassed, and they were tearing down the fences around it and it's just kind of a pretty violent situation um Mm. but i would say we had a larger protest in beloit which is a bit south of where i lived we didn't really have one in in my city um and i'd say more of the threats that come from where i'm from is not from the police but rather from i don't know really what to call them but you know male white conservatives that were threatening to bring their trucks and their confederate flags and one guy threatened to bring right. some beef. Oh my thing. god! And it was kind of a point where 
and I know a lot of my friends didn't didn't protest for various reasons. Um, mm-hmm. My friends from school in Minnesota, I'd say the majority of them did because a lot of them live in the Minneapolis area. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I guess I just don't really know what to say on um, me not protesting. I don't really, I don't really have a good reason for it why I didn't. But I just say the the media around here is is interesting, just considering the majority of the people that are living here are white. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess being close to Madison, we do have quite a few like young liberal folk, I guess. Um, <laughs> that's the best way I can put it. Um, yeah, I guess if that kind of answers your question. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'll ask you another question and then we'll kind of go around as well. Yeah. But mm-hmm. kind of leading from that, you know, this idea of protesting can be really uncomfortable, especially if you haven't done it before and it's not you know, it, it's it's hard. It's hard for me to articulate as well. And there are varying levels of people saying, oh, like, if you're not protesting, like, what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. But I personally mm-hmm. think that this issue is very multi-tiered in the sense that it's not the only avenue to mm-hmm. be part of the conversation. And for various reasons, people will have personal circumstances which prevent them or make it difficult for them to do that and so I guess that idea has been floating around social media more as well mm-hmm. and the biggest thing that I've been seeing is about uh, talking with your friends and family and educating those around you so um, the question I kind of wanted to ask you guys all is what kinds of conversations have you been having with your friends family and community um, and how have you been engaging in this topic with those that perhaps aren't too aware or aren't comfortable quote-unquote with it Mm -hmm. how have you been challenging that status quo of uh not talking if you're uncomfortable about something um so yeah Lauren if you would like to kick us off with that sure um so I guess in my family the way we kind of handle I guess sensitive topics is just joking about it and I guess when my parents bring up something that they may have seen on the news, it just kind of makes me a little simmer a little bit is the best way I can put it. It's just kind of frustrating mm-hmm. to see them joke about, I mean, they, they weren't really joking about the protest, but they were just like, mm, I don't really know the best way to put it, but it's just kind of frustrating that since they aren't involved in social media, they aren't seeing the, you know, lighter side of things. And they definitely don't support the the police brutality, but I don't think they quite understand why that young people are going out because they were really strongly against like our family going out and protesting. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that wouldn't you know stop me if I had chosen to. But um, I guess just interesting to see a different point of view because they're both you know liberal white you know middle aged people, but um, aren't quite as involved, and they just I think maybe has brushed this off as just another you know thing that's just going to go away in a few weeks where I just don't think that's the case. Mm. Have you been having friends with like your friends back at home about what's going on and how have you been like kind of participating on social media and things like that? What has your kind of journey been with this situation? Right. Yeah. So I think social media is just something that I've never really been active on to begin with. And I found it quite hard I'd say a few weeks ago to understand like what's right to post and what's not Mm -hmm. right to post and I wouldn't want to come off as just like 
hopping on a trend, you know, with like the, I guess we can probably get into like the blackout. Um, Tuesday. Yeah. 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 Tuesday later. But um, I just think that, it, you know, it's, it, you can't really judge someone for trying to participate, but at the same time, I just don't want it to seem like, like a free pass. And mm. I think I, I have, I have been trying to post on my Instagram stories and on, on Twitter and trying to, you know, lift up black voices where it should be, but it's hard to find, I guess, information that not necessarily reliable, but something that I would believe in and would want to promote on my platforms. They may not be big. I really don't have a large following, but I mean, I do think it's important to, to uh, amplify is I guess the best way I can put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, Kayla, Emma, um, on the question about like conversations with your, friends and family and also like how you've been uh traveling through this situation and using your platform and things like that um Emma do you want to go next yeah yeah sure so um well the first I'll start with my journey I guess and mine my my one of my hardest conversations I had to have was with myself which may sound a little weird but um at the beginning of all the protests, and especially on Instagram, because our generation is doing a lot of that, like the posting and reposting of stories, I had to sort through my feelings and kind of understand how I felt about things. And what I mean by that is growing up, you know, in a community prominently white, I went to school and we learned about role models like Terry Fox or Jane Goodall and predominantly white role models. But then I'd come home and my mother and her family, who are, you know, uh, African, Indian, Chinese, they would tell me things like about Nelson Mandela, Harriet Tubman, all this kind of stuff. So I had this this um, option for a great education on that kind of stuff. And I've witnessed racism firsthand through my family. Like I've been with my mother when someone has called her names or whatever, or they've told me that, you know, my parents shouldn't be married because one's white and one is a person of color. So I'm sitting here with all these thoughts and thinking, okay, I've had this this gift to be educated in this sense and then when people started posting things like people I've had conversations with in the past and they didn't really care to have the conversation with me it made me think where were you when this happened to Trayvon Martin where were you three years ago like where were you the other 80 times this has happened in our life right and so it was I really and then I realized I had to take a step back and I had to really like critically look at myself and say these people are just trying to be educated and kind of like you said Lauren like you don't know what you can post. You don't know what you should post and you don't know how to fit into it. And I really had to take a step back and realize that not everyone was given that opportunity or had those lessons or anything like that. So in a sense, the education system failed them, society failed them, and it's not these people's fault. And like, I really had to, yeah, take a step back and be like, these people are trying now. So like embrace them and help people as best you can and also learn more for myself. So I think with my social media journey and just that journey journey as a whole, it's really been reposting things that I've researched and really trying to lift, like Lauren said as well, like um, people of color and black people's voices. Um, so there's like a couple Instagrammers I follow and I'm really trying to like whatever they say do, try and figure that out. Um, and as for the conversations go, uh, I think a big thing that we've talked about so far is generational. I think it's a really it's something that's really playing a big role in this. And, you know, I have great aunts. I have aunts who are the age of like 80 and plus and whatever that come from my dad's side. So they're white. And it's a hard conversation to have, but it's not supposed to be easy. But Mm -hmm. I think people have a really hard time. You hit a roadblock 
and they use the excuse of, well, it's a generational thing and they'll never change and all that, all those yeah. things. And I understand that because it is hard, you know, like these people were born and raised in a different time and some people's beliefs are just rooted in things that I don't understand. But I think it's just really important to try and have them sit and listen to you and whether they walk away with a changed mind or not, you just really need to try to get them to hear that piece that you're just trying to say. And I think it's hard to generational wise, like they look at me like I'm still a little kid. So I'm saying these things and they're like, mm. yeah, but you don't really know what you're talking about because you're only like 22 years old type of thing. Um, so I think I definitely think that's disheartening and you you want to give up and then you don't really know how to go about it. Um, and then on the other side of that, you have your friends and your peers who, like you said, Danny, they're like kind of the first ones I had conversations with because I knew they thought the same as me. Um, yeah. And with my friends, I've just really been trying to tell them or help them with their journey. And they help me with mine to be like, Hey, so this is a really good thing. Hey, I found a great article written by, you know, uh, a black YouTuber and she's going off about this. And like, even as ridiculous it is like TikTok, like all the creators on that, that are putting videos out and stuff like that. And so it's just, it's helping your peers use the platforms that we know how to use. And I guess just kind of amplify black voices and get that out there. But yeah, it's been a lot of critical thinking for myself and all that kind mm. of stuff. I'll let jazz. Right. Thank you, Emma. That's such a good point about like standing back and kind of critically thinking about your position within this all and yeah, really reflecting on that because I feel like I've been doing that a lot as well. So Mm -hmm. yeah, great stuff. All right, Kayla. All right. So um, I guess I'll start off by kind of talking about the dynamic in my own household because um, I, um, for you guys listening, I am as I mentioned before, half Dominican and half white, but I'm a visible person of color. Um, I am just as dark as my mother is. And, um, but at the same time, although I have African ancestry because I'm Dominican, I am unlike other Dominicans, non-black passing. So I pass as an ethnically ambiguous mixed race Hispanic person. I'm not black passing or visibly black. Now, um, but that is, um, it is important to mention that I am a visible person of color. So the way that I see the world is extremely different than the way I, uh, my father sees the world, who is a white man in his late 40s. So he is a jolly conservative Fox News watcher. Um, and <laughs> so you can imagine that these times have been extremely productive, actually, um, in you know producing Um, engaging conversation and debate. Um, I've debated with my dad since I was like out of the womb. I'm pretty (laughs) sure. Um, (laughs) You go, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the topic that I'll focus on um, is extremely important and it's white privilege because I think this is a time where people are finally starting to realize what that word actually, or sorry, what that phrase actually means. Um, People are now finally listening and learning not to associate white privilege as, oh, well, just because you're white doesn't mean, you know, you don't struggle too. We all know that. But now people are starting to learn that it's about the things that you don't experience and you never Mm -hmm. will experience as a white person um, or as a, you know, as a visibly white person. Mm -hmm. Now, um, my father, this is just the craziest thing. He, like I mentioned, Fox News, (laughs) conservative white dude, grew up with two black siblings in the hood of Chicago, mm-hmm. um, on the West side. And I grew up, you know, spending a lot of time there. And, 
um, for some reason, he seems to have issues with the term white privilege, which I can't fathom Mm -hmm. because you grew up with two siblings that are visibly black and evidently, you know, experienced different things than you did growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've had to have that conversation with him and I've had to make him realize, look, dad, like there are so many things that even, well, not only me being a woman, but me being a woman of color that there's so many things that I will experience and that I have to think about things that I have to have the instincts to do mm-hmm. that you won't. And this is me, a non-black passing person. Yeah. And so I, I can take a step back also though, and recognize that I have a privilege as a non-black passing because our country has a different relationship with black passing people mm-hmm. and black people. And um, so that that's, you know, increased however fold um, the, the, those feelings of instinct, for example, um, my cousins who are black men saying that they, every time they go to their car, have the instinct to reach out for their license, insurance and registration and put them, you know, nearby so that they don't have to reach when, like if they were to get stopped for like a broken taillight or for speeding. Mm -hmm. Right. And all of my white friends and my white father, I interrogated him basically about this. (laughs) And I was like, have you ever thought about that? Mm -hmm. And he was honest with me. And he said, no, of course not. And I was like, there you go. Yeah. That is what I'm saying. There are deep rooted instincts and tra- like fears of trauma mm-hmm. that people of color, especially black people in this country have that white people just simply don't have. And I think that this has been productive in us educating people, especially white people of that privilege. Yeah. But although that's the case, I think that the major obstacle that we still have in people who don't identify with this movement or don't support this movement or don't understand it is that they can't, they can't lift the veil of privilege over their Mm -hmm. heads and they can't Mm -hmm. recognize it. And those people that have those issues, um, members of my family, my, my white side, um, I see them on Facebook all the time. And I, um, it, it is frustrating because I want to be educating them and I want to be, you know, um, making them aware. And, but they struggle, I think, because for one, they don't understand their privilege and they don't understand the concept of privilege based on skin color, which is really just mind boggling to me because we can understand so many other different privileges. And this is something I discussed with my friends and family. We know there's pretty privilege. Mm -hmm. You get privileges for being conventionally attractive. We know there's skinny privilege. You get certain privileges for not being overweight. There's age privilege. There's male, female privilege. Mm -hmm. So many different ones, but we can't concept we can't possibly conceive that there's privilege based on skin color yep. with all of the yeah. relationships that we've had with race in our country. Like I don't I don't get that. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. um that for one thing, that's the first thing is that they don't understand and they can't conceive white privilege or you know, I have a certain privilege for not being non-black passing. People can't understand that. And two, they think because they say to themselves, oh, I'm not this way. Mm-hmm. There, there's no way this exists. Yep. This is the problem. Just because you don't see yourself as a racially biased person or mm-hmm. a racist person or a um, someone who's prejudicial, that the only way for you to kind of get into your head that it exists is for you to listen to people of color yep. and listen to their experiences. Amen. Because if you're supposedly not doing it, yeah, yeah, if you're supposedly not doing it, how are you going to know mm-hmm. what everyone else is doing? You can't. You can't possibly. You need to listen to people of color. You need to take them seriously. Um, and that's, I think, probably the most important thing that people need to get past is that I know so many white people, especially my family members, who think because they're not 
the perceived bad guys that it's just a problem that doesn't exist Mm -hmm. and that's why we need to like lauren and emma both said amplify black voices and listen to them and you know i think it's also important and this is something i've been thinking about for a while um people are very emotionally invested in movies tv Mm -hmm. and books and they are moved by them so i think and like even if they're fictional there's a lot of nonfiction stuff out there Mm -hmm. but even if they're fictional movies like um when uh, if beale street could talk shows mm-hmm. like when they see us these types yeah, of things they, people need to make the effort to watch yep exactly mm-hmm. and and even if they're fictional which are many of them are not and many of them are based on real and obviously these are productions especially the ones that are you know produced and acted by black actors and producers mm-hmm. they come from a real place even if yep. they're fictional so the people i think you know in a like i guess fun way like something that's more leisurely Mm -hmm. need to be watching these things and empathizing more. And like, because I think people just choose not to, because they don't want to, they don't want to deal with it. Maybe it makes them Um, uncomfortable. Like you said, like they don't know they have white privilege. And then when it, when they're faced with that, they're like, Oh, well that doesn't exist here or we don't have that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, So yeah, a long story short, (laughs) um, I've been having lots of productive conversation with my own family members um, even my siblings, who are also um, dark-skinned Hispanic mm-hmm. um, kids, um, who sometimes uh, question their that pe- there's certain institutions and people that are against them, and they don't realize that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. So yeah. Go off, sis. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, I feel like that was so well put, and mm-hmm. I feel like yeah, that kind of amplifies what. Uh, I was thinking in my head and have been kind of thinking in my head. Um, One kind of interesting side topic I wanted to bring up was this idea of uh, in my community, I guess it's called yellow peril and this whole concept of model minority, because one Mm -hmm. thing that I've been observing in my own communities uh, is this idea of, obviously this stems from the whole all lives matter argument because the fundamental thing about that is the reason why we are saying Black Lives Matter is not to discredit that your life has been hard or your life is hard or your, li- or your life will be hard, mm-hmm. but it's acknowledging the fact that it will never be hard because of your skin colour. And even as a person of colour, I have experienced casual racism, you know, even whilst we were in England. Like, mm-hmm. I can talk about issues, like, whilst we were there, and we were only there for two and a half months. And right. I've experienced things whilst I've been here in Australia in more implicit, systematic ways. But it ultimately, I've thought, I've never feared for my life because of my skin colour. Right. I've never mm-hmm. left home thinking, oh, shit, is anything going to happen to me? because I'm of Asian background, you know? Mm-hmm. And this yeah. kind of, you know, relates also with the idea of model minority because as Asians, we're constantly, constantly sold the idea that if you are fairer, you are better. If mm-hmm. you are fairer, you're assimilating. And this has deep cultural roots. And I learned something new with talking with my mom the other day about how there's a historical 
background to this, especially in a lot of um, Asian cultures, in Korean culture, for example, fairness was, you know, uh, associated and was almost synonymous with wealth and privilege because if you were fairer in um, farming times in Korea meant that you weren't a labourer. You were inside in the Mm -hmm. house being educated and if you were tanner, you were outside um, experiencing manual labour and working in that way to sustain yourself. And mm-hmm. so that's where that idea of fairness equals privilege equals better, uh, like, um, comes from in Asian culture. But my mom was saying something. She was like, I'm not saying that the way that skin colour has been used to vilify people is a good thing. It's more that I'm trying to acknowledge that there's a historical context to it. And I said to her, no, I think you're missing the point. The point is that there is this historical systematic culture to it. That's why it is our job to continue to challenge it. If we're just being complicit about it and sitting back and just letting it waffle over us, maybe thinking about how it's problematic but not actually actively challenging it, I find that really problematic because Mm -hmm. we are constantly Mm -hmm. sold the idea through beauty products, especially in Asian and South Asian um, marketing with creams that are going to make your skin fairer or if you wear this type of clothing it's going to shield you from I don't know all this kind of stuff it's been ingrained in the way that I've been brought up and it still is perpetuated in the way that my mom talks to me you know not like Mm -hmm. extensively but side passing comments about it's really common in Korean culture, obviously plastic surgery, but even more so taking your like moles and sunspots out. And I, you can't really see in the screen right now, but I have a lot of like freckles on my face and that's just being raised and born in like an Australian sun environment where the sun is extremely strong. Um, Mm -hmm. But people always say like, oh my God, your skin would look so clear and white if you take all those uh, spots out. And Yeah, and I'm like, I always try and challenge that because I'm like, I actually really like my freckles and Mm -hmm. I don't need to look paler. I don't need to look paler. Like, uh, excuse me. And, you know, it's really prevalent in my community, community at least. And that is contributing to this whole idea as well in the same way. And it, it might be smaller, it might be implicit, but there's this whole idea of Asian people at the moment especially being really, like, quiet about everything that's going on because they're like, well, we've suffered. We're immigrants as well. Mm-hmm. We've had a difficult time assimilating into such such place. And it's not not ever to discredit that. Like, if for anything, my grandparents could be complaining the absolute crap out of how difficult they, their lives were when they first came to Australia and they were in Western Australia uh, being probably one of the only people of colour in their communities. They could equally be doing that right now, but that's not the problem right now. You know, I have never feared for my life because of my skin colour. And I think that's something that I've had to come to realisation with because I'm always engaging in different conversations with people about those small implicit things that have really been challenging for the way I perceive my own identity and my own self, but it's allowed me to kind of take a step back and realise that this is not the time. We need to be allies to the black community, the Indigenous community, 
um, for this particular reason. And so for me, it's been a really illuminating experience uh, to kind of come to terms with that and talk about that with my family as well, because Mm -hmm. my grandparents, you know, although being in Australia for many, many decades, they still watch Korean news every day. And obviously the Korean news tends to only focus on the most violent images and videos of protests in America because I'm also uh, a religious person. My religious community also talks about it quite negatively sometimes. The conversation my grandma had with our church, um, the wife of our church's pastor, was the whole thing about us not wearing masks. And that was really frustrating for me because they're not understanding why the protesting is so important and why it has been so important. Um, so I definitely feel like although my platform is not big and is not reaching, you know, lots and lots of people, I feel like I have an important role as being someone who is of Asian ethnicity that is studying something a little bit non-conventional for people within my community. Asian people tend to not gravitate towards politics very much. I wonder why, but it's (laughs) definitely an observation I've had, uh, especially whilst I was in England. Uh, For example, being the only person of colour in my classroom, you know, those Mm -hmm. situations were really interesting. Um, But I have always challenged this idea of being quiet, of being uh, obedient. You know, it kind of goes back into the way I perceive myself, but because I am not really... I don't really care of being perceived as someone that's quiet, obedient, and, you know, just listening to what everyone has to say. I'm more someone that I want to continue to bring forth that conversation. And especially because of how disappointed I was at the lack of people at the protests in Brisbane the other weekend of Asian communities. There was literally, I could not see many at all. If anything, I maybe counted up to 10 people as I was passing by and walking. And that's really bloody disappointing for a protest that had 30,000 people. Mm-hmm. And I've also been noticing right. the same trend in my Asian friends and the way that they've been posting online. I have some great friends who have been a lot more vocal about it, but for the most part, I know a lot of people who have not said anything mm-hmm. or conversely, are just posting exactly the same content online, which I find a little bit insensitive at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, sorry to go on a bit of a tangent, but that's Good been tangent. something I've been uh, grappling with a lot as well because, um, yeah, it's not something I've ever really sat myself down and talked to myself about, like you were saying, mm-hmm. Emma, that kind of personal reflection. All right, let's move on. Um, This will be the kind of last um, big overarching topic and then we'll go into some more things about like resources and recommendations and online content because I feel like that's always a really uh, good thing to share with people and as all of you have said is the best way to amplify those voices that have been kind of rendered silent over many, many years. So... The last question I kind of have is how have these recent events challenged your own perspectives about race and systematic racism? I know we've touched based on it, but to kind of more uh, pinpoint on it, I thought that'd be a good question to allow us all to self-reflect. So Lauren, to start off with you, 
um, how do you reckon these recent times have allowed you to uh, perhaps examine and check your own privilege and also engage in this topic of systematic racism in a more encompassing manner? Sure. Okay. So just kind of touching on what you said earlier, I also kind of see myself as quite like a quiet, reserved person. Like I don't really speak up in general a lot of a lot of about a lot of things and and for the most part like a lot of my family and friends like agree with me on most topics and as for like extended family like we don't really see them that much so I don't really have that interaction where we have that like personal connection where we're able to talk about like the issues that we you know are passionate for um but I guess like growing up in a really white neighborhood and then going off to college to an even more like white school I guess when I was tutoring, I didn't really think about that. And then once once I got to my my classroom, I'd see like one or two people of color in my two hundred person lecture hall, and to me that just like didn't sit right. Mm-hmm. And I did that wasn't uh, a factor that I took into consideration when I was choosing one. Um, so I guess that kind of started, you know, my mindset to become more educated. Um, and I guess as of recently, I've just been trying to, you know, think about in the past like year or two like have I seen situations where like I should have you know spoken up and I guess like one thing that kind of like rang in my head is this was a while ago but this is in high school and we were reading To Kill a Mockingbird and we had to like reenact the scene mm. my north going but I was in a scene with these two white boys and then me and my friend Jenna, who's also white and in the middle of the hallway uh one of the boys just said the n-word and it was alarming. It, it it was horrible. And one of the ladies came running out of the office that we were next to. And she's like, you absolutely cannot say that. But not even that, but like the fact that our, like, obviously that's terrible. It should never happen in the first place. But the fact that our teacher never like prefaced anything saying like, mm-hmm. don't say that mm-hmm. they're like, they weren't raised that way. Like you should not say these things. Like I just, yeah. I mean, I would never dream of it, but the fact that so some people were raised so differently, even though we exist in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't and then in college just uh, I guess that hasn't been as bad but mainly just the thing I'm in Duluth it's basically Canada not nothing against Canada I love them <laughs> but it's, really, it's in a really remote area and I think the school is it's like 94 percent white 95 I'm oh not exactly. God. it's terrible and it, it, I, didn't, I didn't realize it when I first got there and I was sitting on my left for help I'm like this is this is terrifying and I mean I love my school and I haven't firsthand you know experienced any you know seen any activities happen but I don't know that's just something that's been kind of like not sitting right with me the past mm-hmm. year. but it's hard when you mm-hmm. like the school but I guess in the past few weeks I've just been trying to educate myself further and and listen like Kayla and Daniel were both saying and I'm sure Emma too <laughs> um but yeah I guess like growing up in a it's extremely white neighborhood it's just you don't really you don't think about it and I guess it's a privilege not to have to think about it so I yeah. guess just continue to listen and educate myself and you know find brands or accounts that I can follow or watch videos or you know buy from here rather than there I mean the continual learning experience and I guess I mean I'm not very good with my words I never have been but just trying to you know learn from other people and, thanks for know, sharing brain. yeah it doesn't come <laughs> as naturally to people and you know mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally understandable. And I just wanted to pipe in and say, like, I've been seeing some really negative stuff online about people really tearing down others for being silent. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in a way I might feel that a little bit myself. 
but also I think this is just the time where everyone needs to just have a little bit of empathy. You know, mm-hmm. there's two sides to it. There's personality and also just awareness and uh, positionality. And I think if we just keep criticising people for just doing the wrong thing or, you know, not doing enough, mm-hmm. it honestly disheartens and discredits those that are trying and everyone has a different experience and a different journey in this very um unfortunate time but I think Lauren for you for example this is a really multicultural friendship group and mm-hmm. we learn from each other in ways that you know you wouldn't be able to do in a ethnically homogenous friendship group or a white only white friendship group and I think that if anything, is a great starting point and all of us are having these kind of conversations and we are putting ourselves out there in a vulnerable position. And if anything, I think that is really positive and it's a good way for us to continue learning and for us to continue supporting each other to be able to support those who need it most at the Mm -hmm. moment. So I think there's real power in that as well. So hopefully, yeah, we can all, uh, yeah, keep going with this I very much appreciate the cut the types of conversations that we're having for example mm-hmm. yeah awesome all right Kayla for you how have you been yeah. challenging your own perceptions and perspectives about race and things like that yeah um it's kind of been um a very revelatory time for me because um as I mentioned before about my siblings that I feel I've been feeling lately that they sometimes don't understand that um although they grew up in a family with a white father in a white neighborhood and went to a white school and they may feel quote that they're white on the inside which doesn't mean anything it doesn't Mm -hmm. exist um (laughs) but I've heard that (laughs) phrase used before um that in the real world and outside of the little bubble that you are in right now, that the world um, is a cruel place and that Mm -hmm. you might experience things that you didn't think um, would happen to you based on the color of your skin. And that's even something that I've been realizing for myself lately, because, um, you know, I tend to, you know, reflect on the advantages I have for um, not being a black passing individual Mm -hmm. and, um, Lately, like when I was about to go to a protest, I saw some stuff on Facebook and on Twitter and on um, Instagram about like, if you're white, like make sure you're using your privilege properly and standing in front of black protesters and protecting them with your privilege and all this kind of thing. And I was thinking to myself, you know, like, I can't do that. I I, like dawned on me. I was like, I am actually scared of what would happen to me if I did that. Mm -hmm. And if I tried to protect. So Lately, it's been it's been kind of a nuanced experience for me because I, I, at the same time that I'm thinking about all of the advantages that I have as a result of being a non-black passing um, individual, I'm also thinking about the things that maybe are stacked against me as a mm-hmm. dark-skinned Hispanic because I am, um, and I was constantly reminded as a child of how dark I was compared to other mm-hmm. Hispanics and other whites. Um, and that's what I meant by microaggressions that I didn't realize were happening when I was younger, but I'm realizing it now. Um, and that's something that's also been happening lately because of this kind of climate that we're in and everybody is doing such a great job for like, at least in my experience, like all of my friends are doing a great job providing people with resources, educating people on 
systemic racism, the roots of it, microaggressions mm-hmm. and what they mean. And it's been allowing me to reflect on my life growing up and how I dealt with things that I just internalized and didn't think about mm-hmm. um, until now, like constantly being reminded about like, for example, how dark I am compared to others or, you know, like, oh, where are you from? That kind yeah. of stuff. Um, yep. <laughs> and so it's been a, it's been a very weird balance lately of, you know, recognizing my relationship in the whole Black Lives Matter movement as a non-Black passing and recognizing my advantages and my privileges. And then also kind of almost like coming to terms with the fact that I'm not this like white privileged kid that I may have mm-hmm. thought I was when I was younger, like my siblings do now, I feel. Um, and kind of learning about um, and kind of learning about the things that I'm now scared to do, mm-hmm. um, especially in this climate where protest, like that was my first experience going to like a real protest or trying to go to a real protest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was scared for real. Like I really was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's extremely important for, um, and this is a message to anybody who's um, a member of the Latinx community, because there's a lot of, Uh, resources that are going around right now that are really important and we have to recognize our own racism within our community um danny you mentioned colorism kind of in your community it is massive in the latinx community yeah um colorism is a status thing like if most latin american countries your status is raised if you are fair skinned Mm -hmm. and there are plenty of fair skinned Mm -hmm. latinos and latinas in um in you know latin america and growing up like my grandparents my dark-skinned more african featured grandfather Mm -hmm. was low class and my grandmother who's fair-skinned who's white and as a dominican was rich and privileged and those things have deep roots in the caribbean in latin america Mm -hmm. everywhere um so recognizing um privilege within the Latinx community is extremely important as well and allying ourselves with the black community and also with our black Latinx Mm -hmm. community members because there's Mm. thousands and thousands and thousands of Latinos that are black um, and who experience are visibly like if you put a Latino black person next to an African-American person they look the same sometimes so they experience the same things and we need to stand with them as well Mm -hmm. yeah awesome Thanks, Kayla. Emma? Yeah. Um, I guess I have three major points, one for Lauren, one for Kayla, and then my own. Um, we'll touch on Kayla. I guess I'll touch on Kayla's first. The I think there is kind of an unspoken thing, but like I guess kind of spoken with biracial children and how mm-hmm. stuck in the middle you really are. Because some days, yeah, like you said, like some days you think of yourself as, oh, white privileged kid. Now I'm white passing. So I didn't really have that experience, but mm-hmm. with my cousins, colorism, like you said, the big thing in the Caribbean is where my mom is from. Her brother mm-hmm. is 10 times darker than she is. Mm-hmm. So his kids are darker than me and they came out mm-hmm. looking darker. So they've had that experience of, you know, we don't quite fit in when we go back to Trinidad, but we also don't fit in when we're with our white friends. So I think that's mm-hmm. a big thing. And it's a conversation that you don't ever want to have with your kid and I, it explain to them why, you know, and even when my family is together in Trinidad, why if we were walking out in public, my mom would be seen as, as more than her brother. Like you don't want to have to explain that to your kids, but I think it's definitely a big thing. And like you touched on it, Kayla, how it is 
so confusing and you need to be there for people and you need to be an ally for them because it's yeah like you said you couldn't stand in front of them but you're also not black passing so it's this very mm-hmm. so complex yeah it's very difficult so yeah I just wanted to nod to that because it's yeah I've had the privilege a huge privilege of being white passing right so mm-hmm. I I could stand in front and not feel scared for my life right whereas I'd be scared for my cousin's life or yours or whatever right. Um, yeah. And then Lauren put on your point, you said it's basically like Canada. One of the biggest things I've had with this whole Black Lives uh, movement is everyone is pointing at America, you know, look at America. This is a wake up call. Like the world is watching. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? And that sentence alone, the world is watching. It kind of it makes me kind of mad because yes, the world is watching. They want to see what the convictions will be and all these things. But like you kind of touched on Danny. We all need to reflect on our own country. You know, Canada comes off as a very welcoming, multicultural place. Mm-hmm. We have a dark history. We have dark things going on. Yep. <laughs> you know, our, the indigenous population is not cared about, not protected at all in Canada. And I think it's one of those things where, yeah, you have to step back. And yes, the occurrence happened in America, but it's happening everywhere. And these people need to stop playing, especially, again, Canada playing behind this mask that oh we're very welcoming we're just nice we have maple syrup and all this stuff you know like own up to your own your own things it's like oh we're just their neighbors we don't know what's going on like we do because the same we're just really sorry literally um uh and then yeah I guess my final point about it is just educating myself on systematic racism because I was listening to this to a podcast and it was talking about how we want change to happen overnight but obviously it's not going to because if you look at the entire system of systematic racism it's going to take a lot longer than you know a couple months and a couple bills passed to clean up this mess and that was something that I hadn't really like I knew about like I knew the basis of it but now I've been slowly getting into that. And that just, again, speaks on my privilege because I didn't think about that, you know? Like I wasn't like, oh, how does this work with this? And how do these hold hands as things happen? So I think mm-hmm. this movement has definitely, yeah, like, kind of like you said, Danny, like it's a lot of self-reflection and because we're kind of alone in this time right now, just trying to figure out what I can do to help and all that kind of stuff. And even small comments like how Kayla said, like, when people would point out that she was darker as a child, you don't think of much of it when you're a kid. But then when you grow up, just like stopping comments like those when you hear them. Like when I was on the playground, someone was like, oh, are you adopted? Because your mom's not the same color as you. And I was like, when I was a kid, I was like, no, it's just my mom. Like didn't think anything of it, right? But now looking back, you're like, oh, okay. Probably should have said something about that. So I think, yeah, just educating ourselves further. Like Kayla said, being an ally to people and yeah, just helping in little ways that you can. Cool. Radio. Thank you so much for uh, yeah articulating and sharing that. I think we've been talking so passionately for over an hour. We'll take a quick break and we'll join you guys very, very soon. See you in a bit. All right, my dudes, we are back after our very long conversation to kind of uh, wrap up today's episode about uh, uh, talking about, sorry, different resources, recommendations and online digital content that 
we can consume and can engage in to educate ourselves and our communities further and for us to engage more in these uh, different creative outlets to support those who need it the most at the moment. So I personally will just quickly talk about some resources that I have been consuming. So there's been some great content uh, in regards to podcasts uh, produced by ABC for us Aussies. Um, Specifically, I wanted to mention uh, two podcasts that I've been really enjoying. The first is All in the Mind, which is a series from ABC that talks about, you know, uh, mental health and just everything that goes on in our brains. And there was a recent episode, uh, about 25, 30-minute episode, titled Healing the Trauma of the Stolen Generations. For those of you guys that don't know about the Stolen Generation period in Australia, it is during the uh, mid-1900s where Aboriginal children were taken away from their parents and put into white institutions to try and make them uh, more accustomed to the white Australia way of living, whatever the heck that means. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was an awful period of time in our history and it is something that is taught briefly, very briefly in primary school, but I think we need to go back in history and really learn about where all this anger and angst is coming from because Indigenous people have been suffering for decades and decades and they're the traditional custodians of our land. So I think it is our duty to hear their voices and hear what has happened in our very turbulent history. Um, A new podcast that I came across is called Always Was, Always Will Be Our Stories by Marley Silva. And this is just a really great uh, podcast to kind of uh, delve into listening to the stories of Aboriginal uh, role models within the Australian community. And I found it really great to listen to the first episode. Um, And I definitely feel like it's my duty to continue to engage in this content. So please, if you're from Australia, keep engaging in this incredible digital platform that we have to be able to access all these uh, mediums. And please listen to those voices of the people that are suffering and have been suffering for so long. I think it's our duty. And um, additionally, just keep having those conversations with your family. I'm sure we'll get into talking about different movies and content like that. But I, for one, have been hearing a lot about when they see us. And I tend to not uh, consume myself in heavy content just because sometimes I feel like winding down the day with something like The Office, uh, which is just humorous. Uh, But I feel like there's a responsibility for us to really confront the reality that is portrayed through uh, the voices of people that have been suffering um, in movies and stuff like that. So I'm sure... I can learn from all three of you guys in different content that um, I can engage in myself, engage with myself. Uh, But yeah, let's go around and talk about some recommendations. I'm sure I'll think of more as I listen to you guys as well. But Emma, please kick us off. Yeah. Um, Well, I guess I'll start with my inner youth and child degree coming out. Um, uh, I have young cousins or whether you have nieces, nephews, whatever, that you need to explain what's going on. Um, In North America, there's a publishing company. It's called Penguin Random House. And they have a great list of books um, 
books and like movie shorts, all that kind of stuff that they think really helps explain the topic and can help start the conversation. So there's like Sesame Street. There is The Day You Begin, The Other Side, Brown Girl Dreaming. And then they also have ones um, like The Hate You Give, stuff like that for uh, young adults or adolescent, I guess. So that's a great resource if you're trying to start a conversation with someone younger and don't know how to go about a sensitive subject. Um, And then a couple of the uh, activists I follow on Instagram – um, one is, oh, I don't want to say their names wrong, is Brittany Packnett Cunningham, and she is on Instagram, and she's an activist, a writer, and she's been posting a lot of great stuff about how you can help, how you can get involved, and then the other one I'm following is her Instagram handle is Black and Embodied, and she's, again, an activist, social justice worker, and that kind of stuff, and they actually um, inspired me to do a challenge with your Instagram, where it's basically, you go through and you figure out who has been posting stuff, who has been using their, especially with celebrities, who's been using their platform to make things heard, to amplify Black voices. And if they haven't posted anything, unfollow them or mute them just to take a step away from it, Um, which is very eye-opening because I realized I follow a lot of white people, a lot. Mm -hmm. So it was very eye-opening to see how people use that platform and how you can follow people that, you know, are using it for good and all that. Um, and then the other thing, I don't know if there's Canadians listening, but maybe, um, you, know, also, you can recommend maybe, friends. Exactly. <laughs> I'll get, get them over here. Um, I don't know if they're doing it in Australia. I think probably in the States too. Uh, Cineplex, for example, is they put out free movies that were, whether they're written, uh, people of color starred in them or whatever. And it's, um, there's like 15, like Oscar nominated movies, like Moonlight, um, Get Out, Us. And like, yeah. mm those stories some of them are thrillers some of them are kind of like chaos like some nonfiction, some fiction but they all come from a place and that i think we need to learn about and also just supporting those people in their craft is a big help too so there's a couple yeah, for sure cool thank you emma i'm sure yeah. there's some great resources and hopefully we have some canadian listeners yeah <laughs> thank you all right lauren yes okay so I guess not necessarily resource, but I just want to touch on uh, the Milwaukee Bucks is a basketball team in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And yeah. they, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, but they, oh gosh, I'm just trying to read what they said. Uh, they were the first NBA team to organize a protest march, and all of their starting lineup participated in it, whether they had, you know, children or families, but they're all in Milwaukee on the same day protesting. And I just feel like that's like a really great thing to see especially from a sports organization and all the I'd say controversy surrounding sports involvement in you know social movements and politics but absolutely yeah yeah so I just wanted to bring that I just thought that was pretty cool especially it's pretty near where I'm from Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess going on to some resources that I found helpful um, at least on Instagram I have I'm not really active on Instagram to begin with but a couple of accounts that I've been following, um, Mind Body Green, they've been posting some really great content on there. Um, and they have links to some really great articles that I've just been reading up on. Um, and then I have been following Oprah on the Oprah magazine. They've also been mm-hmm. a great place to just see a lot of people's perspectives and um, kind of looking up on that. And then as for Twitter, um, kind of going off what Emma said on Goodreads, uh, they posted a link to an article from The Insider, and they had, like, a great list of storybooks for young children 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I just, I saw one thing on TikTok and I thought this was kind of interesting when I was thinking about it. This is from yesterday. And when I'm on Instagram or any, or Facebook, anything that has like tailored ads, it never has to do with, you know, black um, businesses ever. Mm-hmm. And I saw this, let me, let me pull it up. And it was for a black owned foundation brand called Jack Cosmetics, G-A-C-Q-U-E. And it was just a little like, I guess, advertisement. It wasn't really, it was just a TikTok, but it just showed like their foundations and how it covered up. And I just thought that was really cool. And they only have like 13,000 followers on there. Mm-hmm. It's just cool to see that kind of like a homegrown brand yeah. on, on a platform that I guess I, w- I would say on like Instagram or Twitter, I probably wouldn't normally see. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, hey, Lauren. <laughs> oh, I think Emma wants to say something. I just oh, quick sorry, interject. I I just forgot. I, I just because I was reflecting on Canada and how we, you know, think that we're all yeah. wonderful and sometimes you gotta, you know. Uh, it's another resource for the indigenous population here. A great place to start is Aboriginal People's Television Network. And if you just go on their website, they have a great news source, which, um, as we were talking about earlier, like how the media decides to cover things and not cover things. So if you're looking for a good place to start on that topic, head over there. All right. Over to you, Kayla. Sure. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So um, Emma, you listed out a bunch of um, resources that I've been taking advantage of. So that's great. Um, I think what I can add to what you guys have already said is um, if you, wherever you live, I think it's important to look up um black owned businesses mm, and yeah, things like that. Um, at least in Chicago where I live, yeah. um, everybody that I know has been posting um, lists and lists of black owned bars, um, beauty salons, mm-hmm. all these different places and people are really supporting them. Um, so that's one thing you could probably do an easy like Google search and figure it mm-hmm. out wherever you live. Um, another thing is once again, stressing the importance of um like mu- uh sorry movies and tv shows i think it's important to encourage your family members and your friends mm-hmm. to watch them with you as well and that could also be like a catalyst for great discussion between them um another thing i think was briefly mentioned um books about race and racism um for children mm-hmm. are extremely important and i say that so because important. yeah the the way that this is going to change is with new generations mm-hmm. and how we ra- raise our children um, not saying we're going to be having any anytime <laughs> soon, but I think anybody, anybody who, um, if you have younger cousins, younger siblings, mm-hmm. um, anybody who, you know, that has kids or, or is planning to have kids or is pregnant, um, to encourage them to buy these materials and to use them to educate their children. Um, because children aren't born racist. That's just not it's yep. taught. Yep. And yep. <laughs> Showing a child to actively be anti-racist from a very young age mm-hmm. by like more um, sensitive, like these books are not saying they're not going into the details of systemic racism in America. They're showing you pictures and they're being, they're catering to children, which is great. So those are extremely important resources to invest in if you, um, or encourage others to invest in if you have young children. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, um, other than that, it's important to just constantly be not complacent in educating ourselves. So, like, if you're unfamiliar with um, the Black Lives Matter movement themselves, follow them on Instagram. 
Um, they have an official Instagram. They have an official website. Um, they have tons of resources on like why they were started um, and why what they're still fighting for, obviously, and educating yourself on not only kind of like the high profile um, incidences of police brutality and murder in the U.S., but maybe going into more um, doing more research on, you know, your own community or your own country and how um because I have a bunch of friends, as we all probably do from the UK, from our time on exchange, that are posting a lot about, like, you know, exactly what you were saying, Emma, about Canada. Like, we're not mm-hmm. exempt from this. Like, the UK is not innocent. And they had, like, you know, a poster with a bunch of names on them. Um, and so just honestly focusing on America, because it is a problem, but refocusing your attention to um, where it might not be as evident or not be as um, publicized. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much, Kayla. I think the point you and Emma raised about like educating children and Mm -hmm. Lauren, you Mm -hmm. as well um, with Goodreads, it's so important because something that I've been uh, observing some of my friends posting is this little photo that said, when we were taught in primary school or in elementary school, what skin color was in terms mm. of the mental shade that we use, that was the beginning of it. Yeah. And I I that just blew my mind. I'm like, oh, wow. Duh. Wow. Yeah. So powerful. Wow. Why? How, why? Literally you, you why? said that and I knew the color in my head. I was like, that was yeah, like yeah. the crayon. Was, it's oh like my God. the beige uh, peach that, color. That, that's universal. Wow. That's so depressing. Yeah. And like, the I didn't have to explain was... any further. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that I was like, I'm you're literally making me like reflect on my childhood, but like the fact that I was in a classroom mm-hmm. as a very dark skinned brown kid, mm-hmm. also just having the instinct to say, Oh, can you pass me the skin color? Yes. Yeah, when yeah, it was not my skin color. Yeah. Well, you need to draw <laughs> like a picture of yourself. Yeah. When it's, when it's not. <laughs> and so I think we've definitely have come a long way of normalizing that diversity in beauty brands and things like that. But my God, we have a long way to go. We mm-hmm. can't just have like Fenty Beauty being the only brand yes. that has like an extreme line of right. you know, shades. And, you know, it like we've said, things take time. There's such a history, unfortunately, with this. And we are living through, you know, the revolution. We are living through a really powerful period of time. 2020 has been <laughs> crazy to say the least. <laughs> Yeah, but oh my God. Um, if anything, we need to use this incredible momentum, not let it mm-hmm. fizzle out, not yeah. let it just become the task or the journey of those that need more help and those that mm-hmm. have suffered. It's not fair for us to let them fight on their own. It's just not fair when we're all humans and we're just enjoying the same privileges when there's this stark inequality that's mm-hmm. so evident um so yeah I think it's really an exciting time for us to continue and continue pushing these conversations and as you guys were talking I came up with some of my the people that I've been following and some great graphics I've been seeing on Instagram um one of them is Sarah like she's spelt it at sar.ra underscore underscore and she is I believe, an Indigenous woman in Australia, and she has posted some beautiful artwork but also some very informative graphics 
um, about the circumstances in our own country. Also, another one that I've been seeing going around is Courtney Ahn, and she has made some great ones, uh, infographics. I think the most uh, popular one has been the Guide to White Privilege. That infographic mm-hmm. has been really, yeah. really well put and well described. I know me for a fact I learn better when there's some visual stimulus Mm -hmm. and so in that way these Instagram posts have been extremely positive for me to conceptualize it in a way that perhaps I hadn't seen it in the past Mm -hmm. and you know yeah there's just so many great resources out there and I for one have been uh really been excited to also engage with my non-ethnic or non-black friends in the way the really great content they've been sharing as well. Mm -hmm. So we're all in this together, but also for us to continue to amplify those uh, black voices and for us to be in this journey together. So thanks so much, guys, for those recommendations. I'm sure we'll leave some um, links and some ways that you can find this info. Uh, the last kind of topic I wanted to quickly talk about before we finalize, because we this is officially the longest podcast I have done, Ooh. but all for the right <laughs> reasons, um, right. is the interesting momentum we're seeing in the way that brands and businesses and media personalities are all releasing statements and participating in such things like the Blackout Tuesday movement Mm -hmm. Um, and the different implications of that because not only is it a positive way for us to recognise and support brands that have the same values and beliefs as us, it can also be quite superficial and almost be like jumping on a bandwagon and filling and saturating the online space, which we very much saw with the Blackout Tuesday hashtag so what are your thoughts about this and how do you reckon we should be um, engaging with this kind of content and calling out brands and businesses and Mm -hmm. overall being on our toes and really being active in this space if anyone wants to kick us off yeah yeah i'll take a whack out of here um the one point that i really like that you mentioned danny was when do you know if it's superficial or not? And that's something I've been having a big reflection on. Like, is it genuine or is it just because you'll look bad if you don't say something as a company? Yeah. And one company that really disappointed me was Disney. And I'm a huge Disney fan. I've worked oh, there. Oh, no. Come I on, was, Disney. Exactly. I was gung-ho about it. And they released a statement saying that they were going to donate $5 million to the Black Lives Movement. Well, actually, not even. They were donating it to equality movement funds. And the fact, one, that it was $5 million just made me laugh. Because I was like, I working there, I knew what they made in a day. I, like, think about how big the Disney Corporation is, and you're only going to pledge $5 million. Like, you have the ability to do so much more. When you have Lego, I think, who donated, like, $10 million or something, you know? And it's like, you could have done so much more. So that was disappointing. But I think when I looked at it, I asked myself, is it genuine or is it superficial? And I think it really depends on... I think it's going to be a matter of time. Sorry about that uh, technical difficulty. We had Kayla 
zap out for a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's all right. We lasted a long time, and this is a long episode after all. <laughs> but sorry, Emma, as you were saying, please continue about your disappointment with Disney, which I'm yes. disappointed about too. <laughs> My disappointment with Disney. So, yeah, as I was saying, $5 million, not a lot in the grand scheme of things as we know how big the company is and how much they could have donated. Um, but the last point about that is really, is it superficial? Is it genuine? I think that's going to be told with time because I think, as we've mentioned before, it's going to take a long time to make this change. But with Disney being such a platform and how we talked about movies and TV shows and books, they have the ability to give children black role models. They have the ability to put people of color in a position where they can be the lead animator or you know, CEO of something. So they have this opportunity. So hopefully this step and moving forward, they will take that opportunity to do that. Um, and then we'll see that it was genuine. As for um, other businesses, it's it's kind of the same thing for me. It's I think it's just a waiting game, which is kind of unfortunate. Now, there's definitely some businesses I've seen that have been donating money and you can tell it's genuine because, or just like raising people, black voices up or whatever they've decided to do. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's always a question in the back of my mind. It's always a reflection of is it superficial or is it just to, yeah, to get their name off of everyone's list of why haven't you said anything yet. So I think yeah. it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the next bit. Yeah, I think the difference that I see is if it's like a continual acknowledgement mm-hmm. and a continual uh, stream of of like resources if you've mm-hmm. just posted one screenshot of you donating this amount of X amount of money to this organization and that's it and there's nothing about supporting businesses or follow these accounts that amplify black voices, like it's not enough, I think, in my perspective at least, to just kind of it's not a touch-and-go thing. It's mm-hmm. like holding on to it, holding on to the hand and holding on to that kind of um, movement and the bigger picture rather than just saying, mm-hmm. Tick, I'm done. Yeah. I've done my part. We yeah. out. Not good enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to put it frankly, to put it frankly. <laughs> All right, Lauren, what's your kind of perspective on brands and businesses and the needing to take a stand and things like that? So I guess the one that sticks out to me the most is within the past week. I don't know if you guys follow Bon Appetit, but do you guys are Yes. Okay. I don't yeah. follow them, but know who they are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I followed them on Instagram, and I guess I was looking into it a little bit more. And there's this controversy where one of the content creators, um, kind of came forward on Instagram stories and basically just said that, you know, like the people of color weren't getting paid as much as like the white faces on their YouTube channel, on their Instagram, and their magazines, and like the whole. I think it's Condé North. Wow. The whole company. Um they would never touch on like African cuisine. They would just brush over it because like right. their consumers wouldn't, it'd be too complicated. They wouldn't understand it or they wouldn't want it. it it's insane. Wow. I was like, and then I was looking on their YouTube channels again, like their Twitter, and they would put forward their, you know, employees of color when in fact the only content that was being created, oops, sorry. It said, are you still around? <laughs> okay. And the, <laughs> was, um, the white creators. And then I guess there's this controversy where they weren't getting compensated for even appearing in a video. Wow. Um, and a lot of the people involved have like come forward and just said that like I don't want any video that I've been involved in aired on you know whatever platform it would be on mm-hmm. um, and then their CEO of Bon Appetit just got sacked so 
I guess it's wow. nice to see some yeah. sort of change coming forward. And I guess even like their white content creators were touching on like they knew it was happening subconsciously, but they right. weren't doing anything about it, which I think is great to touch on as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. just the brand that stands out. But again, like MY, it's just seeing who's, you know, actually being active and who just, you know, did the Blackout Tuesday poster, just said who was donating. The bare minimum, yeah. Yeah, the bare minimum. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Lauren. Lucky last, Kayla. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think, um, Emma, you put it you put it very well that it's kind of overwhelming to try and figure out mm-hmm. who's being genuine and who, especially celebrities that you follow, mm-hmm. that you like oh, yeah. kind of idolize, or you kind of you have this image or perception of them in your head, but you don't really know them. It's really difficult. Um, I don't know if you guys are um, aware of the Starbucks kind of scandal that's just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, for those of you that don't know, Starbucks um, essentially said that they won't allow their employees to be wearing things that say Black Lives Matter. Um, and oh. th- that kind of stuff is just, it, it seems like a slap <laughs> in the face, especially right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was done for the under the guise of you know, not being political at work or something like that. But mm. this isn't political at all. And it's it's really upsetting that it's become political in the US because yeah. the fact that to be liberal is to equate with supporting the movement and to be conservative is to be equated with kind of being more um, supportive of the police as a response mm-hmm. is disgusting. And this isn't a political issue at all. It's a human rights issue, like many people have been saying. Um, so for that to be kind of suggested by Starbucks is really upsetting, um, especially because I love Starbucks. And now I'm really upset by them and will no longer be purchasing their coffee. Um, yeah. So um, it is important, I think, to pay attention to. <laughs> have you guys heard of like the statement that Ben and Jerry's made? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think I yeah. saw it somewhere briefly, but please explain. Yeah. Ben and Jerry's has <laughs> Ben and Jerry's has been kind of put on the pedestal of, at least in America, mm-hmm. um, of being like the model um response from a corporation. There's lots of memes that have resulted um from their uh, statement. They basically yes. came out and said we're back again. Kayla, please continue with your Ben and Jerry's. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. Spiel. And I hope my <laughs> Wi-Fi won't go out again. Um, okay. <laughs> so basically, Ben and Jerry's came out with a statement that instead of, you know, being kind of foo-foo and fluffy, was like, basically, fuck white supremacy and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. And um, we need to dismantle the system. We need to just basically overhaul the United States. They basically sounded, by comparison to other corporations very radical which was really fun to hear and very fun to read and very um kind of refreshing so there's some brands um that have visibly done more and made more of a strong or made themselves kind of um appear stronger on the position of supporting black lives matter and supporting you know um reform of not only the police departments across the united states but reform of the system and reform of people's minds in America and everywhere, actually. Um, so I think it's important to pay attention to these um, these brands. And if you see that a brand has disappointed you, don't buy from them. 
Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm going to survive without my caramel macchiato, like, from Starbucks. So I'll just, like, go to Dunkin' or make it myself. Um, <laughs> so it's, like, because, you know, corporations do, like, they 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 feel these hits mm-hmm. to their corporation. They feel the hits to their sales because people, you know, are active and they decide, you know what, I'm not supporting a corporation that doesn't align with my values. Um, as far as celebrities... Um, you know, it's not humanly possible for all of the celebrities that have made statements to be genuine. There's no way. Um, there's plenty of whom, or there's plenty of celebrities that, um, you know, have jumped on this bandwagon that you've mentioned and that have kind of felt an obligation to say something because of their, um, kind of position in society and the fact that they have such a large following. Um, I think it's pretty clear. Um, I, I mean, if you can, if you look at like who you follow personally, I think you can pretty much draw distinctions between who's actually, you know, on the front lines, like caring about this movement and who doesn't, um, you know, there's a lot of celebrities who have gone out and protested and like risked kind of, um, you know, being like mobbed by people, mm-hmm. so to speak. Oh boy, Harry risked- Styles. Our boy Ooh. Harry Styles, um, people like Halsey, I know, has been protesting a lot yeah. in the LA area, um, and plenty others. That's not to say that if a celebrity didn't protest, that they're not genuine, um, because yeah. people don't protest for various reasons, especially a celebrity who might fear, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, being mobbed or being kind of yeah. people drawing attention away from the movement and toward yeah. themselves. Yeah, most um, definitely. So yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, my main point is don't support companies that don't align with your values and support black owned businesses, support corporations that do align with your values. And yeah. Period. Awesome. Thank you. I think through all of this, the biggest thing for me to acknowledge is it's, you have to challenge the status quo. You have Mm -hmm. to challenge your previous habits of buying from a certain company who has not, you know, or doesn't align with your values it's challenging the kind of comfortable conversations you tend to have with your family when this is not an issue that uh is comfortable that it needs to be talked about it's challenging the people that you follow or you follow on youtube or on instagram etc it's challenging your own perceptions your own biases your own privilege so this is not an easy thing, but the thing is it's not meant to be easy and we need to challenge ourselves in this way. So for me personally, putting together this podcast was definitely something I thought about a bit and um, the idea of it did scare me because you are putting yourself out there and being vulnerable, but for the most part, I'm really glad I did and I just really wanted to thank each of you guys for taking the time uh, in the past and in the future, I guess, with our crazy time zone differences. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, for taking the time to, like, articulate your thoughts and to contribute to this space of conversation. I'm sure um, if you are listening, you would have learned something new, like I always say with my episodes, um, but for the most part, like, this episode should be very much that. So thank you so much, guys, for joining me today, and I'll catch you later.
Bye, y'all. Bye. Thanks for having us. No worries. See you later. If you've managed to get through this entire episode, I applaud you and I thank you from the bottom of my heart because as things start to go back to normal on social media, I can't help but notice how things are just starting to fade away. I know that everyone is learning in a different way and posting on social media is not everyone's cup of tea, but I truly believe that we can do our part with listening and learning and challenging and just overall becoming lot more open-minded and really just challenging the status quo. I know that this is some intense stuff but it never should be easy to talk about race Um, but I think that is all the more reason for us to continue to do so and this extends beyond just conversations about race but all things that society has constructed and is still constructing to this day. Uh, As a young person living in Australia I know that there is so much more to be discussed about our own Indigenous background and the dark history that still permeates today and reconciliation and sovereignty and all those concepts. So it's something definitely that I've been thinking about producing and putting together for a later date. Uh, There are ideas that I've been floating around, but thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for being a part of my very small podcast community. Um, I hope that we can be leaders championing, championing into the future. So cheers and I'll see you next time.